Okay, we are in Luke chapter 22, and uh, we're going to look at verses 49 through 53. And um, at first, when we first started looking at this, I said that there were three questions in this in this section that Luke had recorded. At first, uh, we seen a question that Jesus asked of Judas, and now we're seeing the second question, and we're going to look at the third question that's going on in this scenario here while Jesus is in the garden. And uh, so let's take a look at verses uh, 49 through 51, and that's the first part. And it says here, And when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. So here is the second question. Lord, shall we smite with the sword? Right? Shall we smite with the sword? If you remember with uh, the first question, when, with, uh, when Jesus asked Judas the question, Judas wasn't able to give an answer to the question. And now what we have here is <laughs> we've got his disciples. Shall we smite with the sword? And they didn't even wait for the answer to their question, did they? <laughs> they didn't even wait. Uh, so Jesus' disciples, they caught on pretty quickly what was going on what Judas was all about and these men that had accompanied to, Ju- uh, to, Ju- uh, to Jesus, uh, accompanied Judas to come arrest Jesus and before Jesus could reply to their question it says here that one of them smote and, and, and uh, cut off the, the, the ear of this gentleman in other words he took measures into his own hands didn't he he didn't even wait to hear the answer from Jesus but he took um, matters into his own hands and, and he lopped this poor man's ear off. Now, we know from John 18.10 uh, that the, the, the servant of the high priest was a man by the name of Malchus. And, of course, we know who the fellow was that chopped his ear off, don't we? It was, it was Peter, Peter, that man of action. Uh, he took it upon himself to do that. Now, uh, it's interesting. I looked up the, the, the meaning of the name Malchus, and it means kingdom or king. Kingdom or king. And it was his right ear that Peter had, had uh, relieved uh, Malchus of with his uh, rash attempt to defend Jesus. And I kind of got to thinking about that. And I says, man, is there a picture here that we can see? I mean, stop and think about it. You know, here he is, a servant of the high priest, and he loses his ear, his right ear. And, uh, you know, the, the religious leadership of Israel had failed to hear their king or heed their king, didn't they? And so the first time he came, and so now the kingdom is temporarily removed from them. Temporarily removed from them, just like Malchus's ear was temporarily severed from his head. The kingdom that the uh, leadership didn't want to hear about is temporarily removed from them. But Jesus picked that ear up and stuck it back on the man's head. And, and just like Malchus, the Jews will one day be healed and they will be one day restored uh, when their king shall come the second time. And then they will listen to their king and then they will enter into the kingdom. So I think that's kind of an interesting little picture there, uh, something that you might just read over and maybe not give any thought to. But um, 
Peter's hasty and rash act um, wouldn't accomplish what he intended. Uh, I mean, he wanted to defend the Lord. He wanted to uh, deliver the Lord from uh, the danger uh, that Peter saw that he was in. But uh, Peter's hasty action uh, didn't accomplish that. But it did accomplish a couple of things that I saw here. And that's what I want to talk about as far as this, this first section. Um, what Peter actually did was two things. And the first thing that he did was this. When he drew that sword out and uh, lopped the man's ear off, uh, what Peter actually did was is he put the Lord in a very difficult position. Uh, he put the Lord in a very difficult uh, position. Uh, though Peter's uh, uh, act was brave, uh, at the same time it was uh, thoughtless. It was uh, reactionary. In doing so, he put Jesus in a difficult position before his accusers and before those who had come to arrest him. Uh, his hasty behavior, as well-meaning as it was on Peter's behalf, uh, what that essentially did was implicate Jesus as uh, being insubordinate to the uh, lawful government of the people. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's what he did. Uh, his enemies could now make the claim that Jesus was uh, nothing more than a zealot who was seeking to uh, bring down the government, that he was uh, rebellious against all authority except his own. And what Peter did with his violent action does nothing more than prove their suspicions. Uh, Jesus is nothing more than a, than a common rebellious zealot, you know. And... Um, the enemy will do that, won't they? Uh, the enemy is, is, they're just masters at, at putting such a spin, a spin on things, uh, that, uh, they can make what is right appear to be wrong and what is wrong appear to be right. And that's what, uh, the enemies of Jesus were very good about. Uh, they could put, uh, a spin on anything, uh, to justify their actions and to condemn the righteous. And so, um, of course, uh, Jesus' enemies, we'll see that later on, later on in Luke 23, 2. That's exactly what they would do when they would bring Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Uh, they would claim that, uh, they would make the uh, false accusation, uh, that Jesus was trying to present himself a king, uh, to overthrow the government. And that's one of the false accusations that they would use in front of Pilate. And that would make sense because Pilate, of course, is the Roman representative and it's part of his duty to keep uh, things under control and so if there's someone of the Jewish population that's trying to lead a revolt then it's, then it's Pilate's obligation as far as being loyal to Rome to put down that uh, that uh, rebel so you know that's uh, that's the false accusation that they definitely definitely used against Jesus in, in front of, P, uh, in front of uh, Pilate uh, and Peter's hate the action um, you know if Jesus wouldn't have healed that man's ear uh, they could have used that see we can prove it because one of his own men uh, struck out with a sword so they could have used that to uh, strengthen their case against Jesus and so it's a good thing that uh, Jesus did heal the ear now Proverbs 14:29 says he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth uh, folly. 
Uh, I've been guilty of this. Uh, There are times when uh, God's people are simply too hasty, too quick. There used to be an old saying, uh, flying off the handle. You know, uh, sometimes God's people can be too quick to fly off the handle. There's hasty words and, and hasty actions. And even though they may be uh, well-intended and even, you know, they even may be of a righteous uh, nature, uh, sometimes being too hasty can cause uh, more harm than good in a ministry or more harm than good among family or friends or more harm than good on the, on the job site or practically where any kind of relationship with other human beings are concerned uh, one thing that we need to guard against is being very very hasty jumping to conclusions or flying off the handle Um, I've uh, in my uh, you know when I used to work for a living uh, there were sometimes hasty co-workers uh, that would become angry and because of their hastiness and and the situation that was going on uh, they not only made things hard for themselves but they also made things hard for the rest of us that had to work on the on the crew or in the group uh, simply because they were just simply too hasty uh, I've seen uh, I've seen this in ministry I've seen where men and women in ministry have been hasty they don't agree with something or they don't like something and so they'll make a decision or they'll get themselves involved in a way uh, that has done nothing but cause more confusion in the ministry and and it's just sometimes we have to be very very careful about uh, how hasty we we uh, we can become now Peter was a man of an impulsive nature and he was a man who was often driven more by his emotions uh, than his than his reason, or he would find himself in a situation and then he would react to the situation uh, rather than respond to the situation. And so it could be that um, being a man of action, uh, he felt as though you know unless something's done here, all will be lost. I have to do something here. And so being a man of action, that's that's exactly what he did he just he didn't wait for the answer from the Lord he just stepped right on or stepped right in and did it uh, you know I kind of wonder if um, if um, Peter had heeded the Lord's admonition uh, pray lest ye enter into temptation instead of falling to sleep I just kind of wonder if Peter would have uh, listened to the Lord and would have uh, spent that time praying instead of sleeping if uh, he would not have been a little bit better prepared uh, for what was coming down. I mean, I know from my own experience that uh, when I pray about things first, uh, they may not go the way I would like them to go, but my response is better. You know, my attitude is better. And then when I don't pray about things and I just simply get myself enmeshed in it uh, that's when things really go to pieces they still may not go the way you want it to go but it's my attitude of heart that makes it um, uh, worse for me or more difficult for me to deal with does that make sense you understand what I'm trying to say here I see a few heads nodding so you've been there right you've been there so um, so just you know it's it's good to pray always be in that that 
that uh, attitude of prayer. Uh, Psalms 141.3 says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Man, I wish I was more obedient <laughs> to that passage. Uh, I really do, because sometimes, you know, I'll speak before I think. And I'll just say something before I think it through. And sometimes it's best uh, not to say anything else at all. Uh, say anything at all. Uh, Psalms 39.1. I said I will take heed to my ways, uh, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with the bridle while the wicked is before me. Uh, take heed to my ways. Man, I tell you what, uh, preemptive prayer uh, can go a long way in avoiding the unpleasant um, circumstances of preemptive strikes. Does that make sense? Preemptive prayer can go a long way in avoiding those unpleasant experiences of, of preemptive strikes, just like what, what Peter did here with, with, um, with the sword. Because sometimes, though, preemptive strikes cause more harm than good. They just do. They cause more harm than good. And I've been, like I said, I've been an exa- I've been a victim of my own hasty words, of my own haste, uh, rash actions, uh, some of which even today, even today, I still, you know, smart from. It's just, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. So as I was reading through this, I'm thinking, okay, what could have, what may have uh, set Peter off? Um, you know, because um, he's the one who drew the sword. Could it have been the, 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 the question, uh, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? Was that the trigger? Was that what set Peter off? I mean, I mean, Peter's personality type was a man of action. And his mind was probably, uh, why even discuss this? You know, why even, why even discuss this? Why even wait for answer? It's obvious what must be done. Woof, out comes the sword and off goes the the guy's ear you know he didn't even hesitate don't even talk about it let's let's move let's do something or maybe it was Malchus maybe Malchus happened to be the guy who first laid hands on Jesus right he laid hands on Jesus and that was just too much for Peter and so Peter steps in and he's going to put an end to this silliness He's going to put an end to this silliness. I don't know. But he was a man of action. He was a hasty man. He was rash sometimes. And he didn't wait for an answer. So I got to thinking and I'm thinking, you know, uh, for the hasty action types, uh, I think it's difficult for them to believe uh, that God knows what what's best, uh, that God is still in control, uh, that God will do what he sees best to do in the situation. And sometimes for the hasty types, it's just very difficult for them to step back, right, and let God handle it. That can be difficult. That can be tough. That can be hard. What the action types, I think, would do well to to do is pray. And let's see what God's will is in the matter. Let's uh, see the big picture instead of living in that snapshot crisis to crisis to crisis that the hasty types seem to live in. Uh, pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but also pray 
that God lets you in on what's going on. And when it's ready for you to go into the game, then you're ready to go into the game when God calls on you. But that's very, very difficult for action types. That's very difficult because they want to get in there and they want to fix things now. I'm sorry. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just, that's just the way I am. You want to fix things right now. You want an answer right now. You want to get it done right now. Well, what's God doing in this situation? What's God's plan in this situation? What's God's will in this situation? Let's figure that out first. Okay? And then he'll involve us. Then he'll involve us. Which brings us to the second point. Peter's rash behavior was actually contrary to God's will. Yeah. Yeah, you know, on, on the manly side of us, says, yeah, go, Peter. Go. But actually what Peter did was contrary to what God's will was. Even though it was well intended, it was counterintuitive to God's will and God's plan. This was the very hour that Jesus was born to, right? This was the very hour that Jesus was born to. This was the very hour that Jesus had tried to prepare his men for because he had told his men time and time and time again, hey, this is God's will. This is the hour that I've been born to. Luke 9.20. Uh, he said unto them, Whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Did you hear what he said? The Son of Man must suffer many things it was God's will must suffer Luke 9.44 he says to his men let these sayings sink down into your hearts for the son of man shall be delivered into the hands of men it was God's will it was God's will that Jesus Christ was to be delivered into the hands of, a man, of these men. Again and again, Jesus attempted to prepare his men for this very hour. Even during the, what we know of as the Lord's Supper, he, Jesus spoke to his men uh, concerning his mission, that it was God's will. Uh, what we learn from 1 Peter, <laughs> the man who lopped the guy's ear off, that from the foundation of the world... Jesus was ordained for this. Okay, he learned he learned his lesson after the fact. That's usually the way it goes, right? After the fact. But from the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was sent to die to provide an atonement for mankind's sin. That was the will of God. And when God's people, by their hastiness and their need for action, fail to see God's plan and act contrary to God's will, right? They can prove to be more of an unwitting hindrance in the situation than a help. Than a help. You see, we need to see what God's will is. 
And then we need to ask God, what's your plan? And then we ask God, okay, how do I fit? What can I do? What can I do? Let me tell you something. Peter and the others could do nothing. And those two pitiful little swords, they wouldn't have delivered Jesus. And besides this, if God, uh, if it was God's will to deliver Jesus, God would have done it on a spectacular scale. So much so that the enemies of Jesus would know, uh uh-oh, we should not be messing with this man. Remember what Jesus said back there in uh, Matthew 26, 51? Uh, Behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest, smote off his ears, then 52. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. And then he says, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? I did some calculating one time. Twelve legions of angels. Talk about weapons of mass destruction. I did a, you know, a Roman legion consisted between three to six thousand men. In Isaiah 37, we learned that one angel killed, what, 187,000 men in a single night. All right, so if we have uh, 12 legions of angels, and let's use the lower number of 3,000, that's 36,000 angels, each angel capable of 185,000 men. That means that that legions, they would destroy 6.6 billion men. If it were 12 legions multiplied by 6,000, that's 72,000 angels, each able to take out 185, that's 13.3 billion men. We only have like 7.6 billion people on the earth. And I guarantee you back in Jesus' day, I, I, I don't think there were a billion people on the planet. So if God's will was to deliver Jesus, it would have been done on a spectacular scale. But God's will was for Jesus to deliver us. To deliver us. So if you feel the need to be a person of action, then rather being driven by your gut or your sense of righteous indignation or your emotions or whatever it is, you better be sure what is God's will in the matter before you act. You better figure out what's God's plan in the matter. It'd be like a football player running, running off of the bench out into the field. When the coach says, didn't even call him to do that. Be better ask God the what and how before you we say and do. And sometimes in our haste, uh, we can be ca- we can be a cause to uh, of reproach unto God, rather than a cause to praise God. And I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen where people have been hasty and said things and done things thinking it's the right thing and come to find out 
It's not. And it's caused people to reproach God or reproach Christians. You realize that when they reproach Christians, and they're actually reproaching the Lord you serve? And something else that's kind of interesting. You know, in the healing of Malchus's ear, the Lord took away any accusation. And that was the last act of divine healing that the Lord performed and it was made necessary because of the hasty, rash actions of someone who didn't wait to hear the answer to the question. And the Lord's been doing that ever since. He's been healing situations that some of his rash and hasty children have been creating. So it's best to just kind of step back a minute and try to see God's will in the matter. You know, Jesus' words to Peter were, Suffer ye thus far. He says, Peter, I understand you failed to heed what I had to say. Peter, I understand your hasty reaction is trying to defend me. He said, I tried to, I tried to prepare you for this. But hey, trust me. This is the will of God. This is the way it must be. This is the way it must be. And sometimes that's, <laughs> that's hard for us. That's hard for us to take. It's hard for us to take. Because sometimes what is God's will is not our will, and we just wrestle with that. Go ahead. You know, that's why you say that's hard for us to do. You know, if, this, if Donald Trump's only job was to get Jerusalem recognized as it happened in Israel, if that was his only job, he is done. Yeah. He needs to move on. Yeah. As hard as that is for a lot of people to understand, yeah. Me yeah. You're right. We, we look at it like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. we look at it gloom and doom, gloom and doom. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I know you guys know this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Ah. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Believe it or not, God has a plan. He knows what he's doing. And our part is to get in on his plan and fulfill our part of that plan. You know, when you ask the Lord, shall we smite with the sword? At least wait for an answer. (laughs) Right? At least wait for an answer. And then we have the arrest. We have the defenders and the arresters. Luke 2, uh, 22, verse 52, Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple, and the elders which were, to, were come to him, Be come out as against a thief with swords and staves? There's the question. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So after rebuking Peter, after appealing to Judas, 
Jesus now uh, directs his attention to those who had come to arrest him, uh, to, to lead him away. And he asks this question, he says, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. First, um, just like with Peter, um, these men could have come with a legion of soldiers. And if Jesus did not want to be arrested, even a whole army of Rome could not have taken Jesus. Even a whole army of Rome uh, could, have, uh, could have arrested Jesus, and there would have been very little that these men could have done about it. I mean, they already had run into, uh, had a brief exposure uh, to Jesus' authority in John 18, 5, when Jesus asked, uh, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. Now when Jesus said, I am he, uh, they, that uh, Judas and those that uh, stood with Judas, as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. When Jesus spoke, I am he, the whole lot of them fell, including Judas. His words must have thundered in their ears. And as they stepped backward, they probably fell over each other trying to get away from him. You know, years ago I was speaking with a man who was um, of the charismatic persuasion. And he was trying to convince me about becoming slain in the spirit. That I was missing out on something because... um, I'd never experienced being slain in the spirit. So I asked him, where in the Bible do you find this teaching about being slain in the spirit? And he quoted this passage. They went backward and fell to the ground, and he claimed that these men were slain in the spirit. And that's a blessing that uh, we should seek after. I asked him, well, are you aware of who it is that this passage is talking about and what they were all about? He says, no, no, I'm not. He says, this was a passage that his pastor had used, and he just kept hammering on this, went backward and falling to the ground, and I guess in his church service, they had a big slain in the spirit party. Okay, and the pastor would put his hands on people and they would all drop to the ground. And so I said, well, let's take a look at that. So we looked up the passage and I pointed out to them, I said, see here, <laughs> these men were haters of Jesus. These men came to arrest Jesus to kill him. Now, why in the world would you want to be associated with these people who hate Jesus and want to kill him? He says, I'm that's exactly right. He, he kind of just kind of stuttered. He said, well, I, I guess I never read that. Bingo. Bingo. You see, these men who came to arrest Jesus 
ran head on into the very same one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. I am. And when Jesus said, I am, that authority of who he was knocked those men to the ground. Knocked those men to the ground. Moses came to the bush to worship voluntarily. (laughs) He bent the knee voluntarily. These men (laughs) were forced to the ground by Jesus' authority. Isaiah 45, 23 says, he says, I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Every tongue shall swear. Romans 14, 11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Philippians 2, 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see... The wicked have a problem with this. They don't like to confess Jesus as Lord. Oh, they like the idea of Jesus as Savior, but they don't like the idea of Jesus as Lord. Psalms 2.1, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. You remember what the Pharisees said when Pilate asked them, should I crucify your king? You remember what they said? We have no king but Caesar. That's the world. And the point is this, if you don't bend the now voluntarily and worship now, you will bend the knee later. You will bend the knee later at the time of judgment. Proverbs 19.12 says, The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is due upon the grass. You see, now is the time to bend the knee to Jesus, the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world. Because you don't want to face Jesus as the Lion of Judah. It will not go well. It will not go well. So Jesus addresses these men and exposes them. And I'm going to, I'm going to say it. He exposes them for the wicked cowards they are. He says, when I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. These men knew that Jesus was no common criminal. These men had heard Jesus' teaching. These men knew that Jesus was indeed a righteous man. These men were nothing more than the mindless lackeys of their corrupt and wicked and envious masters who hated Jesus. They were at one time sent to arrest Jesus. 
and they went to arrest Jesus and they listened to Jesus teach and talk and they went back to the high priests empty handed and the high priest asked them why didn't you arrest him why haven't you brought him and the officers answered never man spake like this man then answered them the Pharisees are you also deceived have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him you idiots you dum-dums you don't have the education we have you don't have the insight that we have you're not as religious as we are how could you possibly know that he is the way the truth and the life and so they were called on the carpet and they were made to feel stupid at least here in John's gospel they had sense enough to know you know what this man doesn't deserve to be arrested but that's changed now here they are and I believe that there are some of these guys here were there with when they went to arrest him the first time in John's gospel there they are again but instead of being the upholders of righteousness and justice these men have now come under the influence of these wicked rulers of the unjust and the wrong and honestly these were the criminals not Jesus these men were the criminals not Jesus you know men can become so corrupt and so perverse in their reasoning so overcome in darkness that they'll look at things that are right as wrong and look at things that are wrong as right things are all flipped upside down in their minds and at one time these guys may have perceived Jesus as, as, as a righteous man but now they don't look at Jesus that way anymore you can get all turned around Isaiah 5.20 says woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter woe unto them that are here's the problem wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight remember what the Pharisees said to these guys hey we're the educated ones we're the religious ones we're the ones that know what's right not you guys you don't have that ability that's kind of the message that we're hearing today in this country oh no no it's not it's not that way it's this way oh you guys don't understand but we do listen to us Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, the men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. You know, at one time, uh, we knew right from wrong in this country. But as our nation slips deeper and deeper into darkness, instead of the rights of the citizen being free speech, now the rights of the citizen is to murder unborn children in the womb to marry uh, the same sex to to identify with being a kumquat (laughs) if you want to that's the thing that's defended today I'll probably get in trouble but I don't care pretty much it's do whatever your sinful flesh desires to do and we'll back you up on it 
But if you want to do the righteous thing, and you want to speak out against this, oh no, that can't happen. We'll shut you down. It's little wonder that the Lord spoke of those days shortly before his coming. He compared it to Noah, the days of Noah and days of Lot, didn't he? Noah, because of the violence and the open rebellion against God and God's spirit, was weary in dealing with men. And of course, Lot, uh, when sin was rampant and open and unchallenged and like Lot, those who spoke against it were shouted down, were shut down. The Lord intimidated these men who came to arrest him. They were fearful of him. Why do you think they had such a large mob with sticks and and swords and stuff? They came to serve their um, Antifa style of twisted justice. And notice they came at night. They came at night. You know why? Because these men were under the power of darkness. Satan. Darkness. That's what Jesus said. This is the hour of darkness. The hour of darkness. They came at night because men love darkness rather than light, lest their deeds be exposed. These men were behaving like the children of their father. Darkness. It's a statistical fact. When do you think most crimes are committed? In the daytime or at night? At night. There's a good reason for that. Yeah, I got online and looked that up. The peak hours of violent crime is between 9 at night and 2 a.m. in the morning. Almost 80% of your violent crimes are committed between those hours. Now I understand why my my mom and dad put a curfew on on me. (laughs) Get home before the sun goes down. In the oldest book of the Bible, in the book of Job, he understood this long before modern statistics came out. Job 24:13, he says, speaking of those, those wicked, he says, they are those that rebel against the light. They know not the ways thereof, nor abide in the paths thereof. The murderer rising with the light killeth the poor and needy, and in the night is as a thief. The eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight, saying, No eye shall see me, and disguises his face. In the dark they dig through houses which they had marked for themselves. In the daytime they know not the light, for the morning is to them even as a shadow of death. If one know them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. That's interesting to me. The morning is to them even as a shadow of death. You know, when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to light up the entire world. And those guys will have no place to run. And they will realize, uh uh-oh, we're done for. We are done for. Jesus said, this is your hour, the power of darkness. And they took him away, verse 54, and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. So I want to close with these three little points. 
actually three big points, just little things to say about it. You know, from the world's perspective on this scenario with Jesus in the garden, uh, they see it as a triumph of evil over good. They see that the Lord was powerless and weak before his enemies. That what took place there in the garden with him being led away to be tried and then crucified, uh, Jesus had no control over it. Uh, He was uh, unwillingly uh, led away to be crucified. And um, that's that's the way the world looks at it. And you know what? I've read uh, Christian commentaries where these Christian teachers uh, from seminaries, they also teach almost the same thing. As though Jesus was absolutely powerless and had, could, couldn't do anything to help himself. Um, what they don't understand is that Jesus was not a victim. He was a victor. He was a victor uh, when he was led away. So real quickly, I'm going to end with these three things about Jesus' death. Three things that are true about Jesus' death. These three things I think the majority of the people don't understand. That's why they say that uh, this was a triumph of evil over good. They just don't understand. And the first thing is this, is that Jesus' death was substitutionary. Jesus' death was substitutionary. Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh. That's not weakness, folks. That's power. That's power. Jesus' death was substitutionary. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's power, folks. That's taking a sinner like me and counting me righteous because of him. That's power. That's authority there. Uh, Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus did something for me that I did not have the power or authority to do. He was my substitute. That's power. That's authority. He wasn't a powerless victim. He was a chosen lamb of God who died for the sins of the part of the world. Whole world. Just the elect. Everybody. Everybody. That's power. That's power. And then Jesus' death was atoning. Romans 5.11, and not only so, but you also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, 1 John 2.2, and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's power, that's authority. You know, Jesus declared in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Oprah Winfrey claims Jesus Christ can't be the only way. Whose word are you going to trust in? (laughs) Yeah, you can take that car and drive right into hell. And then finally, the death of Jesus was voluntary voluntary 
John 10, 18, this is Jesus himself saying this. He says, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Can you do that? Can Oprah do that? Do that? No. Only Jesus can do that. You know, sometimes I think even good Christians forget the power that Jesus possesses. Jesus was was meek, but he was by no means weak. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's power. That's the hope that we have even in a crazy, mixed-up, broken world. It wasn't the ropes that they used to bind Jesus and lead him away to the high priest. It wasn't the Roman army under the power of Pilate. And it wasn't the nails that fixed Jesus to the cross. (laughs) And I know you guys know what kept Jesus on that cross. There you go, Michelle. His love. His love for sinners. His love for sinners. I don't know about you, but that just kind of takes the wind out of the sails of my conceit. It just does. His love for the Father, his love for fulfilling the will of his Father and submitting to what we're going to study, his love for men and women like you and me, that's what kept him on that cross. Because of the sin of mankind, there is a great gulf between God and man. And only Jesus Christ could bridge that gulf. And he did it on the cross. He did it on the cross. He voluntarily laid aside his own glory, his own authority, his own power. Submitted himself to that awful ordeal of crucifixion. So that you and I will have everlasting life. That's pretty powerful. That's authority. Amen? Lord God in heaven, we thank you so much. And words can't express our thankfulness or our gratefulness. And even even our lives are not enough to to uh, match that wonderful gift that you've given us. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us, that we would uh, not be so hasty, but rather seek your will, be a part of your plan. And at the same time, Lord, when things are going crazy around us, when things look like they're out of control, uh, may we look to you who has all authority and all power and trust in you, Father, even through those dark times. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.